0: Friends, Shack House is brought to you by the Callaway
1: XR16 driver, where forgiveness meets fast. The XR16 driver was used by Henrik Stenson. You know that name. He won the Open Championship yesterday in staggering fashion this weekend with a performance of a lifetime. Phil Mickelson, another name you heard all weekend long, was using a Sub-Zero version of it as well. Be sure to go check out an XR16 driver at your local demo day. My friends, I also want to tell you about Athletes Collective. You've heard Jeff Shackelford and I talk lovingly about the fine uh, menswear those guys put out there for all kinds of athletic activity. Am I right, Jeff? Oh, yeah,
2: loving it. I brought my long-sleeve shirt over here to Scotland House, played golf with it, did the layering thing. It was beautiful.
1: See, that's what we're talking about. Thankfully, you can now buy great quality, great fitting, running and active wear without the logos for 30 to 40% cheaper than the big brands by going to athletescollective.com go to athletescollective.com and enter the promo code HOUSE that's H-O-U-S-E and receive 15% off your first order all orders include free shipping and returns to the U.S. or Canada 100% satisfaction guaranteed that comes with the Joe House and Jeff Shackelford seal and stamp of approval
2: Today on Shack House, an open championship for the ages as Henrik Stenson and Phil Mickelson contested a duel that even Jack Nicholas says was the best he's ever seen. Plus, Rue McDonald, who will talk Scottish golf travel with us. But first, from Scotland, House, I greet you from beautiful Glasgow. How are you doing? It's your, it's your last day in Scotland. It's got to be a sad day, right, Jeff? Uh, it, it is a sad day. Uh, in fact, it's very, very sad, House. Uh, but I, I will say... <laughs> I am looking forward to being re- reunited with uh, the sun, uh, Mexican food, yes. and something for breakfast other than scrambled eggs, beans, and tomato. Uh, but other than that, uh, it's been a wonderful trip here, as always. It's such a beautiful place. Great people. They love the game of golf. You never have to be ashamed to love golf here. And uh, And then, oh yeah, by the way, we just had one of the greatest majors of all time, I think, Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, it's early in the week, House, but I feel like this is one we're going to have to kind of uh, sit on and ponder. But what those two guys just did at Royal Troon was just um, really, really special. Yeah, I I feel like if Jack has already weighed in, Jack
1: Nicholas has already weighed in, and his view is that yesterday's competition between the two players, because it was just a two-man competition, Surpassed what he and Tom Watson did in 77, then that's good enough for me.
2: I'm pretty sure the
1: 18 major winner can have the final say on that matter.
2: Yeah, how about that? He just took to Twitter and threw that out there. He said, uh, what was his line? He said... Uh, Oh, mentioning Turnberry in, uh, in 1977, I thought we played great and had a wonderful match. Uh, on that day, Tom got me 65-66. Our final round was really good, but theirs was even better. What a great match today. I don't know why he's calling it a match, but uh, it, it, whatever Jack well, says, he's allowed to say. Because it's, that's accurate. <laughs> it is a match. It was a match
1: yesterday, and what they had going was a match also, don't you think? Uh,
2: yeah, although Phil really downplayed that on Saturday, and, and even after going through all that he still kind of downplayed it not not to, to be rude to Henrik it's just that I think he gets so locked into a mindset that it's stroke play and and that there are a few holes out there where anything could go wrong and so he just didn't want to play against the person he was playing against he'd wanted to play against the golf course which is very hard to do when it's just the two of you so. Uh, either way it was yeah I don't begrudge him
1: his point of view that's necessary for his proper mindset and and preparation and the way that he wants to tackle it but for all of us consuming the thing it was just match play and the moment that Henrik rolled in that unbelievable uh 60 footer 70 footer I don't know what the actual yardage was uh from uh on fifteen yeah. i I you know put it in the book that's yeah. it
2: the it, the match is over. Yeah, but then sixteen, I was I was behind the green, and you know it was just you couldn't believe when that went in. And then Phil had a really hard putt there, so he did a nice job, just a two putt. The pin was on a on a really weird little spot. I doubt you could see it on TV, but you know sixteen. Then he made it interesting, hitting it over uh, Henrik did over in the left rough, and and I got to see the lie, and it was it was not horrible, but it was one where it needed a little bit of care, and he. he Hit a great shot. And um, and then, but Phil's putt on 16 house uh, for Eagle, it just went bumpity bump at the start. And then, again, like the putt for 63 that he had uh, earlier in the week, it was just astounding that that putt did not go in. I mean, Bones didn't fall over this time, but he, he did you know, pretty much uh, show and let everybody know that that was just an absolutely painful miss. And Phil muttered a bunch of stuff walking over to uh, hand the putter to him and i mean if that had gone in uh, i mean the match was uh, the duel was just incredible but that took it that would have taken it to even uh, another level um so but yeah because
1: the 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 pressure on henrik to to match um with that very uh it looked very scary a little downhiller it was um you know that that the the the, does he have the same competent stroke? Does he have the same ability to take a couple deep breaths? And, you know, he made it look very easy. He wow. was very, I don't want to use the word nonchalant, but it was, uh, there was nothing extraordinary about his approach to that that little knee knocker there. Um, but boy, oh boy, if Phil's could have just, you know... <laughs> tippled in toppled in that would have been something else i want to um interrupt before we keep going because you really had one hell of a forrest gump tournament this week (laughs) jeff shackelford we we have documented (laughs) photographic evidence of you behind phil on 18 uh on thursday at his uh you know record tying opener we have you documented photographic evidence of you with a shirtless Henrik Stenson yesterday as he's approaching the tee box on 17 and we are on the cusp the, the, the Republican National Convention has just commenced. You tell me, not less than a <laughs> half hour before we get onto this podcast, that you've been getting direct communication from the, the, the presumptive nominee, the Donald himself, in relation to your thoughts on Turnberry,
0: yeah. Let, let's, let's, let's hear a little <laughs> bit about your week, my
2: friend. Yeah, it was, that, that, was, that was a surreal phone call. Uh, uh, well, we'll do the Donald first. So I was Phil shoots his uh, 63. And I got to see the end of it, as you mentioned. I was walking the last, uh, I don't know, six, seven holes there, six holes. And um, he uh, hit that kind of questionable tee shot. And so I went up the left side and got to stand behind it. And then the putt was just incredible. And the moment was incredible. And Phil's reaction to be so down about it was incredible because you understood. I mean, most golfers would say, why would somebody shoot 63 and be so depressed or, or somber? And that's because Phil knows history. Phil knows that he had it. He finally was the person. He was going to break this barrier to shoot sixty two in a major, that that uh, twenty seven other people had had shot sixty three. And um, so I'm sitting there and I'm I'm writing for Golf Digest this, and the phone. Goes off and it says unknown number and I just I just said well I thought of one person it might be that is a friend of Phil's taking calling to take credit for something and I went well I don't want to deal with that I said unknown and uh, so I keep banging out my uh, text and then I look and there's a long message and I, <laughs> I hit I go oh fine let's see who it is and I hit play and uh, and it was it was uh, Mr Trump we'll call him since he is the uh, nominee now I think the Donald would be disrespectful since it's going to be one of two people. And, uh, yeah, he saw some tweets about Turnberry, and he wanted to talk a little uh, Turnberry. Yeah, so we'll let you go ahead
1: and... and Delve into that a bit more um, when we're in the speed round because I know you want to give some, yeah, some yeah. thoughts oh, on Turnberry. You got yeah, to yeah. do the pitch and putt there, and I think you got to play a full eighteen there
2: last week, right? Uh, I did uh, almost. We got we got a little wet yeah. at the end, but uh, I, I we had a great time. Oh, and, right. Yeah, it's sensational. So we'll talk about that. But let's get back to Stenson uh, because that moment, forget me. I mean, it was just surreal. Uh, so he makes the birdie on sixteen. And and I want to get to this thought of of the zone here in a moment, but he he makes a putt. Everybody, the whole entourage, marches up to the 17th tee, and and Henrik looks very locked in and, and just 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 so calm, and Phil too. They both were just so calm under the circumstances, and and it was just a surreal scene already because the grandstands house had been empty all week and so now we actually have a beautiful weather day the grandstands are full it looks fake it looks like a painting when you're on 16 and you see these layered grandstands completely filled and people clapping almost like a recording just a beautiful beautiful scene so he he marches up to the 17th tee and i'm standing next to mark canazaro the new york post right by the scoreboard and you know that way we can't block any people and yeah, we're like 30 yards away. And literally the moment he's on the tee, he just turns around and he starts walking at us. And I thought, oh, he must have to go to the bathroom. It's kind of a weird time, but whatever. And um, and then he just literally keeps walking right at Mark and I. And then he starts taking off his golf shirt. And then, he, you know, he shows a little bit of his stomach, and he still keeps walking at us, and he goes, shield me. <laughs> and and he's just looking right at us, and we kind of laugh, and I don't even know what to say. And and then he just goes right behind us, uh, and there's a Dayglo-clad policeman, and he gets behind him. And we, of course, said, sure, we'll shield you and we'll act like nothing's uh, unusual here. There's only millions of people watching and you're disrobing uh, in front of them. And uh, he goes, "Uh, I'm a little hot today. And he said it in that just the way he delivers the dry lines, uh, like it was a reference to the golf. It was a reference to the temperature. But I found it surreal House. I don't know what television showed, but that here was somebody who was so locked in. And then he just had this moment on the tee. Where I'm in the middle of a, I'm throwing a perfect game and I've decided to take off my undershirt. And I golfers are usually very superstitious. I don't, I guess Henrik isn't. I thought he was. And then he went about and then he stuck it about seven feet and the crowd gave a kind of a weird reaction. He, and it may have been his fault because he was, and I, this is where I want to get to the zone conversation with you. He was so locked in. That he started to at the end of the round, just he would just hit these shots he'd see that it was on the flight, and he knew he'd hit it so it' was perfect and he just went and put the bag club in the bag and uh that was it, 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 it and it, I think it threw the crowd off, but he was just he was in an, another place and did came through on television any yeah any kind of
1: facial expression, and I know that that's part of uh what we've all come to expect with him he's very stoic uh in in expression and when he gets those glasses going and you don't really see his eyes at all um you know it it feels like he's a a little robotic out there just you know mowing down birdies that wasn't the case yesterday for whatever reason i didn't feel like he was a robot uh and and the curious thing about this in the zone observation you're making it was absolutely the case it is true um, so was Phil. Yeah, yeah he was. <laughs> you know, too. that's why yesterday was so incredible. Both guys where you don't know whether or not they're feeding off of one another or if they're just, um, each in, in such a great space um, themselves. I mean, Phil on one, I, I had a conversation overnight, Saturday into Sunday with somebody wondering if phil could hang in there through all four rounds or whether Uh you know 46 years old across the pond all that kind of stuff would catch up to him a little bit like physically and i said well let's watch his swing on the first two holes and see what he does and on number one you know off the tee perfectly um you know uh, placed for a small wedge in and he sticks it it's like well I, I like I like the way yeah. Phil's looking right here and Henrik had a, sm- a small wobble yeah um, but as the, the the day went on both of them were taking driver or three wood in places where you know there's a little trepidation 10 11 12 you start getting nervous please don't pound one of these yeah. off uh, you know into into the <laughs> the high shrubbery or over the the railroad tracks and and they were right down the middle each and yeah. every yeah. time it was just an, an incredible display right
2: yeah because Phil tendency uh, has been to go a little bit wayward and, and then Hendrick's tendency has been to, to just putt horribly and so yeah when they got to 10 and 11 and how those, those holes are so scary <laughs> the 11th is li- literally an island fairway surrounded by gorse and the slightest mishit and you are toast and so they just went right through those. I mean, Henrik's tee he shot on 11 went a little off of where he had wanted to put it, but but just it showed just mean just barely. And so you just kept waiting for that moment when one of the two would would kind of give in, and then it looked like Phil on 12 might, and and he and then he made another miraculous par two days in a row on that hole, and it was just uh, they're both of them their rhythm was so good. Uh, and it was cold early in the round. It was really, really cold, and then it it warmed up as the day went, and that was always sort of what I worried about with with phil was was uh, just knowing that he 's got some some arthritis issues if that if that cold would bother him, and it didn't at all. He just looked great he's so happy here he so loves uh, Lynx golf and he just he the people love him they love him even more today, believe it or not i mean that's all they they almost talked about him as much as the people I ran into. Um, but he is uh, just so at ease here and with Lynx Golf and, and, and Henrik, too. And it's so funny, though. House, I watched them last Saturday at the Scottish. They played together and they were like different people. A week ago, Henrik's putting was just awful at Castle Castle Stewart. Phil's speed was awful, and we talked about that on the show, and it, it worried me in betting about him. But then when I saw Phil on Monday in the practice round, how loose and happy he was after that great Sunday, I you know I just felt better. But to think that those two were where they were a week before and then at that point playing some of the greatest golf that anybody has ever seen in a major just tells you how what a nutty nutty game it is yeah i I was thrilled by the entire
1: tournament two guys going back and forth and and neither one uh you know lost ground by way of of bad play it was the superior play of, of the other that ended up carrying the day. And, and I absolutely loved, you know, it's, it's the reason that sports, you know, uh, is such a, a premium um, rights package these days, why mm. networks are all willing to pay such, such exorbitant prices for sports. It's because you can't anticipate, you can't forecast when a great competition is gonna break out between between two competitors, and you're going to see you know some something that you haven't seen before. And we we had four days of the possibility of seeing something we hadn't seen before. Scotland was totally up to the task. They gave us three and a half seasons. The way that you, they're just it's supposed to it's supposed to be cold. We got cold. Oh, yeah. We got warm. We got wind. We got rain. The only thing that was missing was snow. So the place was up to it. The crowds were up to it. I saw very good reviews of. The live outdoor um, facility that they set up for patrons um, yeah. to come in and enjoy and stay on the grounds through the tournament. What was what was the reaction to that um, facility?
2: Oh, it's a great vibe. Yeah, I did a little piece for our website at Golf Digest and then also for Golf Channel, and it's just it's what you'd hope for at the Open. It's dignified, but it's real, more relaxed, and it's they don't quite take themselves as seriously. You know, you have corporate sponsors. Uh, around and they have their tents and and some are better than others HSBC has all this great interactive stuff you can hit the drive on the road hole and uh, you've got all these great food options there's a a falconer who who will uh, share his birds with you but he's also there to kind of keep the gulls away i mean just kind of a an oddball thing like that the the merchandise is a little sterile they need to work on that but um, it it, it took a setback this year it it had very little stuff that said true and some branding person got a hold of it but the the overall vibe that kind of sets is just it's just wonderful and they're they're the best fans the only thing that was a little strange was the first few days you probably noticed, and when Phil had his sixty-three putt, uh, for some reason the people stayed down by the spectator village, and then they gravitated interestingly towards the far end of the course where the the, the postage stamp is, and really where the, where the most dramatic holes are to watch. And so there weren't a lot of people up around the clubhouse holes and uh and that if people wonder why it was so empty when phil was putting that that was kind of why for whatever reason they just i think it was a little trickier to get up there and um but the atmosphere at the open house is is really special it's again it's it's serious it's dignified but it's it's also relaxed and the people uh and there are also just so many kids that come to the to the open they they're it's free for under a certain age and and that just adds another element of uh of kind of joy to the whole thing and um, it's uh trun 's not the most beautiful venue, but it 's obviously uh, and i don 't know how it came off on television but it it obviously is just a great test of golf and uh, and it was set up beautifully and in good enough shape to kind of let these two put on a performance that uh that is just for the ages
1: so speaking of the one for the ages you um had had reached out to me a little earlier saying where where, where do I think the second-place finish for Phil kind of falls. Is it his most devastating? Before mm-hmm. I give you my point of view on that, what, what's your take?
2: Yeah, my view is that it is the most devastating one, and which is kind of, a I know, an odd take, but uh, he, here's why. I, I look at the ones where he made a mistake, like at Wingfoot or, or Marion, that uh, – as he sits back and thinks about his 11 second-place finishes and his unbelievable career, which uh, I think is also, by the way, <laughs> we're discussing this this downer part of Phil's career, but he, like Arnold Palmer, who had 10 second-place finishes in majors and Jack Nichols had 19, um, in an odd way, these these runner-ups and these, these heartbreakers and these amazing performances and then doing it in an old age actually solidifies their places as legends in the game. I mean, because he's there so many times and does it in such a certain, in the way only Phil can do it. But I feel like for him seeing how uh, he reacted to this and how he was so dejected and so heartbroken really, because he has been putting so much into his game. He's been working like crazy. It's been three years since he won. He did everything everything right he shoots 62 and a half essentially um he uh shoots 65 the last round with no bogeys he plays just an an amazing tournament if he was the only player there he wins by 11 and that is the largest winning margin since 1870 um he wins 141 of 145 open championships with that score i mean he just can go on and on and so i think that in a weird way, that is really almost more painful that you did every single thing right, and you still didn't win. What do you think? Stretch? Yeah, on
1: <laughs> on the brink of history in so many different ways with so many different angles, uh, he would have been the oldest um, Open winner. Is that right?
2: Uh, since old Tom Morris.
1: Right, right.
2: <laughs> um, a long time for ago. me, I... I... In a <laughs> galaxy far, far I, away... I, I...
1: I, I don't think anything could ever surpass Wingfoot in terms of, of a devastating yeah. um, second place. It was a doozy. Um, because it, this instance was one where he played his very, very, very best, and it just happened to not be good enough here at, at Troon. Wingfoot was a meltdown of of catastrophic, unprecedented, never-to-be-repeated proportions um, largely because of the mental f- failures. And, you know, I, I uh, don't think he was he's leading the the U.S. Open and makes two unbelievable mental errors. Um, that, to me, is the thing that I think would would uh, have to be gnawing at him for, for a lifetime. Um, and it seems like he's he's confessed as much um, it, as he's sort of put that in context and in his. Rear view mirror over the years, um, but wingfoot for me remains um, the, the the one that's uh, got to be the the toughest one to 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 you know process in a lifetime
2: well let me here let me throw another reason at you why I think this one hurts uh, he doesn't really care about playing for regular tour titles anymore he 's all about the history that 's why the the sixty three Lip out was so painful uh, because he's such a lover of history, especially when he gets to the Open, um, and he's thinking about that. He knows he doesn't have many opportunities left. The the the, <laughs> the golf gods who he now believes in after after that, but um, tend to be very harsh on people as they get into their late forties. Now he could be an exception, which he also knows because he's got such great flexibility and his health seems to be so good and um, he knows how to pace himself and he has paced himself very well, uh, a lot better than several other players. So I think when you add in the, the sort of extra pressure he feels because of his sense of history and his sense of, I don't want to say desperation, but his desire to take advantage of these last few key years, that that's what is... Makes it so painful for him that he did every single thing right. His his swing changes are working, and and then um, I guess the only thing that doesn't make it more devastating is that he he really he really likes Henrik. They they uh, other than when Henrik plays very slow, uh, I think Phil absolutely loves playing with him. Um, so uh, that is uh, I want to t- talk about one. Yeah, other it, it thing. was pretty
1: apparent from their interaction, um, really starting on Saturday. When they they played together uh, um, all all day Saturday, and you know they they in all of the interviews the two of them um, did, they talked about you know very uh, generously how much they like each other, and uh, I wonder how much of that played into. Uh, Henrik's ability to get himself into the flow into the moment in a groove and into the zone as we say in the same way that we observed with Danny Willett the comfort that he had playing with Lee Westwood at the Masters in a way Henrik had the benefit of playing with such a comfortable competitor that that was not part of the um, you know, sort of mental, uh, let's say bouillabaisse, base, right? The, the big soup that's in in his, in his head as he's trying to pick out, you know, ingredients and just put, pull together the best possible performance. He didn't have to worry about the guy that was standing across from him in terms of any intimidation
2: factor or unfamiliarity or Hmm. anything like that. The mental bouillabaisse. base. That is one. That is a keeper. If we had show titles for this show, I think that would have to be the show title house. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> to your point though, yes, here's here's the other thing I wanted to point out, uh, before we get to our, our interview with Rue McDonald to talk Scottish golf and before we get to uh the speed round, which will cover some more about the open championship. Henrik was playing I won't say fast at the open, but he was playing at a at a very nice normal pace. And so to your point about the comfort level, you know, he played with Phil up at Castle Stewart. Uh, and then he was—he clearly had found something that that was on a level that was just uh, like few golfers have ever found on the final day, or really over four days, but especially on the final day of a major. And House—he was—he was just playing very uh, at a very nice clip. I, I usually don't enjoy watching him play because he's so slow. Um, I mean, at Oakmont, he was and he was battling a, a little injury, and he was battling the course. And I think his, his putting was bothering him, and he was he was really, really grinding. And he played with Phil there, by the way, as well. And so I, I think that was just so telling yesterday, and I, I know TV kind of masks that, although TV showed those guys so much. So it was, um, I, I think you kind of detected it, you, that, that he was just at a, 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 a level of comfort there. And, and players, for whatever reason, house, they like to downplay the importance of a good pairing, but it's nonsense it it absolutely makes all the difference in the world yeah well speaking
1: of a good pairing you were there for two weeks in (laughs) scotland you you got um wonderful golf wonderful distilleries and you got a chance to sit down and talk with a native rue
2: mcdonald um
1: let's uh get you
2: to that interview okay yeah before we do that house i just want to say this so people know why we're talking to rue if that's all right um he's co-host of the Scottish Golf Podcast with a guy named Graylin Loomis. They're Millennials House. We're bringing Millennials into the show here. Um, They're kind of quasi-disruptors because, you know, the travel industry here is really big on tour operators. And these two young guys are trying to say, hey, use the Internet, use knowledge, uh, maybe use a tour operator for your first trip, um, or you have a huge group. But they're trying to allow people to educate themselves in a fun way and and have a great trip of a, of a lifetime to the home of golf. And so uh, that's why I want to uh, have him on the show because uh, this is, is such a special place to me, and I know you want to come here and have a great trip, and so uh, I figured it was a great chance to kind of introduce you to Rue through, uh, through a little 10-minute chat. So here's the chat I had with Rue.
1: Friends, before we get to Rue McDonald, you've heard us talk about Odyssey Putters, the number one putter in golf. Odyssey won the putter count. Let me repeat that. Won the putter count at the open last week at Royal Troon. And Henrik Stenson used his trusty White Hot XG number seven to make 10 birdies on Sunday, en route to a staggering 63. And his first major title, new this year from Odyssey, is a full line of White Hawk rx putters these beauties combine the classic white hot insert feel beloved by tour players with an insert feature that provides a better roll. check these and other putters out y'all at odysseygolf.com odyssey golf the number one putter in golf let me also tell you about one of our sponsors ring There's a home burglary every 13 seconds. Most happen in broad daylight with a potential burglar ringing your doorbell to make sure you're away before they break in. Ring Video Doorbell has been proven to stop burglaries before they happen by allowing you to see and speak to anyone approaching your door using your smartphone. Now, Ring is using their advanced motion detection technology to protect your entire property with the ring of security kit the kit includes a ring video doorbell for the front door and a ring stick stick up cam the wireless weatherproof hd camera to keep an eye on other parts of your property Ring Video Doorbell and Stick Up Cam both install in minutes and working together they provide 24-7 monitoring of your entire home whether you're in the living room or thousands of miles away this is something that we have installed at my house here in the DMV it's very helpful to my wife and her peace of mind when I'm on the road thousands of miles away for a limited time Shack House listeners get $50 off the Ring of Security kit, it's the lowest price anywhere. Go to ring.com backslash shackhouse right now. Join the hundreds of thousands who protect their home with ring. Ring.com backslash shackhouse for fifty dollars off friends. That's ring.com backslash shackhouse.
2: Uh, I'm here with Rue McDonald. He's the host of the Scottish Golf Travel Podcast uh we are talking to a lot of listeners in the united states who probably are interested in golf in scotland uh, but they kind of don't know where to start and they probably don't want to spend a ridiculous amount of money and you have been doing great work on that front in trying to help people plan a trip so what is the state of planning a trip to golf in scotland and what is your recipe for a successful trip
3: Well, first off, Jeff, I'm a huge fan of uh, Shaq House, (laughs) Uh, so it's a pleasure to be here and great to have you in Scotland, somebody who really appreciates the game here and has applied it in many, much of your work, so uh, to be fair, the the planning of a golf trip is daunting, Uh, I'm not um, daft to to appreciate that, Uh, and tour operators do a great job for those first time trips but myself and my colleague Graylin Loomis on our podcast really talk to those who've maybe been to Scotland a couple of times and, and feel they know where they're going and they want to find some other golf courses, the, the second tier hidden gem courses and uh, I think we, we offer something there that uh, is authentic and hopefully useful and uh, hopefully uh, piques people's interest in discovering some of those some of those courses and experiences.
2: So many people obviously want to check off the name Golf Courses, and we have been trying to convince them otherwise. Um, What would be, I guess, the best way to kind of pare it down is say somebody got over that need to want to check off the the famous places. Uh, What regions would we be kind of talking about for people to sort of maybe set up in one area and then just branch out to courses uh, give us an idea of what those key regions are.
3: Well, Scotland, uh, first of all, I think you come to Scotland to play the Lynx golf product. Right. Don't make the mistake of playing Glen Eagles as wonderful <laughs> as the hotel is and the golf course. don't. You can play a Glen Eagles course anywhere in the world. In Scotland, we've got links, and links is what you come and play for. Um, so we've got about five regions in Scotland. I'd recommend the Highlands where we are, Castle Stewart, Royal Dornock, Nairn. They're the trophy courses. Right. Uh, then you come further uh, south in the northeast region where uh, I'm from, and, and Croon Bay being my home course, one of the reg- uh, courses in the region. Royal Aberdeen and Trump International, if that's your cup of tea. And then further south in the third region, St Andrews, which... Um, Inevitably everybody flocks to uh, Very busy uh, You won't hear many Scottish voices perhaps It's ram- jam-packed right. with the Americans You've got King's Kingsbarns uh, In there Crail, Crail Of course <laughs> And uh, then the, the fourth region being uh, East Lothian I think that's your favourite region in Scotland North Berwick whether well, we both appreciate that golf course And one of the, the ultimate golf experiences in my opinion uh, You know Marry that with Muirfield. You've got Gullan, hosted the 24, uh, 2015 Scottish Open. Uh, so that's a, that's your fourth region. And f- uh, the fifth region is where the Open Championship will head uh, next week.
2: The West Coast.
3: The West Coast. And you've got Presswick, home of the first ten Open Championships. Turnbury down there, Western Gales. And then if you really were getting adventurous, you could add on Makarhanish, which is... Just one of the unique golf experiences, mm-hmm. a, a really spiritual golf experience. So there's a lot of golf, but what people tend to do is make the big mistake of trying to do it all or trying right. to do too much. So, what we advocate is try to pick two of those regions, you know, the ones that are probably uh, close logistically, right? and spend more time golfing, less time driving.
2: Okay. And um, you mentioned a lot of private clubs of in that way. list of also, courses. We have a um rate. How does it work here with most of the private clubs in terms of people wanting to get on? Because the average American uh, thinks of a private club and they think, well, that's got gates and it's closed off and they don't want me anywhere near it. But over here, clubs are more welcoming of, of guest play.
3: Yeah, I don't think you'll see many walled properties and gates here. No. Uh, every course bar, maybe half a dozen, are completely public. Like this one, Castle Stewart, is only visitor play. We have no membership. Right. So people really have to change their mindset in, in understanding the likes of Cruden Bay, North Berwick, Royal Dornock. The visitor play, you guys listening, are actually subsidizing the membership. So they're very open to visitor play. There may be some uh, occasions where you play in restricted Times, but generally, in the rule of thumb, even the open rotor courses Turnbury, Troon, Yearfield on designated days of the week they're all open to the public. You don't have to know somebody in high places, uh, you're pretty much uh, treated like a member.
2: Yeah. Um, and so you go to their websites and write letters to the secretary. Is that generally how it works now, or do they have email forms to make it easier?
3: Yeah. Well, Scotland's eventually caught up on the, yeah. I guess, the online booking yeah. system. So even Muirfield, um, you, you just go on the website and you book. Uh, usually have to be pretty organised, six to twelve months ahead. But for the, the lesser-known golf courses, you can literally walk up and play like you did this week. Right. You played some great golf, yeah. and you just basically decided that day you woke up and thought, I fancy a game here. Yeah.
2: yeah, and there were a couple where I just was going to walk the course just to see it, and they were... Horrified that I wasn't playing because they were happy to help me uh, tee off and at a very reasonable price, and uh, I think that was that was eye opening even for me. I just kind of assume these famous places I've heard of uh, are going to want you to be planning in advance and booking in advance.
3: Right, and I just want to turn this round on you then. What was some of your highlights of this week or takeaways for for you about Scottish golf and, and some of your favourite? tracks out
2: there. Well, I think this region here, the Highlands, is now moved to, for me, on par with uh, the East, East Lothian, St. Andrews, uh, in terms of being a place you would want to come and have a rewarding experience and play world-class courses and play a variety of courses. And maybe there, there might even be, I'm tempted to say, well, East Lothian has some pretty great variety, but here you have, uh, I mean, every Lynx is so different. The experience <laughs> is so different. Uh, and then you throw in the scenery, which is like being in parts of Ireland up here in the Highlands. so beautiful. You have distilleries. There are other things to do. This is really the area, too, where a couple can come. It doesn't have to be a guy's buddy trip, but this could actually be a place where couples can come. You can do some hiking. Uh, uh, the food is incredible. Now, you don't uh, You know, we could still talk, debate. Breakfast could be varied a little bit more, but, um, but... But eateries are amazing, and um, so I, I feel like this is seeing places like Brora, um, and uh, and then just off the beaten track places. I just think are so. F- it's you know the, it's like the craze we have in the United States right now with uh, you know craft breweries and, and artisanal food and and people not wanting to go to chain restaurants. You know, and then golfers come here who embrace that in the United States and they they want to go to the you know the big brand name places. And they're fearful of those, those craft golf courses. And I think what's exciting about the Internet is it allows them to, and things like your podcast, uh, things like the Scottish Open this week, it allows them to see that there are other places besides the, the Open Championship Rota courses and that you'll have a great time. Going to play those places, and you'll be treated well. This everybody's so friendly. Yeah, you want to go out and play in the late night, an emergency nine. You know they're not uptight about it. They they're happy to have you there at their course.
3: Yeah, and to continue your food analogy, the uh, the thought of coming to play open road of course after open road of course is pretty much like going to the same restaurant for six nights in a row. Yeah you're coming to Scotland to experience one-off experiences, there's so many of them Right. you're not playing the same golf courses and these second tier courses if you were to marry them with some of the more established names, half and half what a trip you could have, but the the real mistake people make is they, they want to get that one picture and they want to post it on Instagram and right. Facebook and whatever. <laughs> and it's uh, it's like the big game hunters in, sure. in safaris, you know? Yeah. You need to get over that, and they're not the memories that you're going to have when you're no. 10, 15 years down the line.
2: No, no. So if people want to kind of start probing around the internet and learning more, they can find
3: you at Scottish uh, Golf travel.com? Nope. Oh. Scottishgolfpodcast.com. That's right. And Jeff has uh, made his uh, Snapchat debut this week. I'm also on Snapchat, so you can find me on Snapchat, Scottish Golf, Instagram, Scottish Golf Podcast, Twitter, Rue McDonald, and Scott Golf Podcast. Uh, so right across the internet. Okay. And uh, that was a, a nice plug there.
2: Absolutely, yeah. that's what we wanted. And the podcasts are great because you, um, they're, they're evergreen. They'll hold up well. I listen to a couple of them driving on the trip here and really enjoyed going before I went to certain courses, listening, for instance, to Lauren Rubinstein talking about Dornick, where he wrote a book and lived for a summer. Um, so it's wonderful that you have those and people can download and listen to those while they're driving to kind of get prepared for a course or a region, uh, and you've covered everything from trying to get a tea time in St. Andrews, which is a little confusing, uh, to talking to authors, and, and then just uh, everyday golf nuts who you've heard about who've had a great trip, and uh, so might- they're, they're very helpful in that regard.
3: Yeah, and like you and House do, I'm fortunate to have a, a very, you know, entertaining and no- knowledgeable co-host, uh, Graylon Loomis, yes. who actually studied in St Andrews for years as an American, and sort of has that angle of things, you know, a different golfing culture perhaps. And we, right. me and him, just uh, go back and forth on a couple of things, and uh, we're lucky in Scotland that, that news seems to kind of take over, and there's lots to talk about, whether that be Muirfield or Turnberry or, yeah. or you know, this week at Scottish Open. So. Um, Uh, Yeah, I'm not that interesting, but together we we get something (laughs) together and hopefully help uh, hundreds of golf travelers come to Scotland.
2: No, you do a great job. You host the show. You keep it moving. And it's just what people who are trying to plan a trip, and what can be very overwhelming and stressful, um, but ultimately I think rewarding when you do your own planning, um, and I, again, as you say, nothing against the tour operators, but with the internet now uh, with with flights to more places that are easier to get to, like where we 're speaking from in inverness um, it 's just and then of course brexit and the and the the little hit that the pound has taken i mean i 've just been Usually when I come over here and I buy things, I just I just, just it's just painful.
3: You bought me dinner last night. Oh, have, it,
2: it's even just the it. difference <laughs> is just incredible already. It's wonderful. So we thank you for everything you do, and uh, and we will list uh, where we can find uh, people can find all of your information and and start doing their own investigating for a possible trip. So
3: great. Well, appreciate being on Jeff, and um, I'm really thrilled that you have managed to discover your own golf courses again on this trip, and we'll see you this time next year.
2: All right. Thank you, Rupe. We thank Rue McDonald again for joining us. His website is ScottishGolfTravel.com. And, of course, I'll have a bunch of cool links in the show notes on my site, JeffShackelford.com, so you can learn more about Rue. House, did you know that inefficiency is usually thought to be a negative, but not when you are elevating your craft to an art? Avion Tequila, voted the world's best-tasting tequila, is surely one of the most inefficient tequilas you can find. Now, what does that mean? Well, of course, you know Avion from Entourage. That's probably the thing that uh, made Turtle really rich. But, of course, we know Turtle had nothing to do with Avion. Here's the real story behind the brand. Avion was created by celebrities or billionaires? Nope. Nope wrong again. It's a collaboration between a tequila loving entrepreneur and a family who for generations have been growing agave in their small town Jesus Maria in the highlands of Jalisco. Avion is made by real people with true passion for their craft. They pride themselves on the art of creating beautifully inefficient tequila. Sip on Avion, neat or on the rocks, it makes a delicious top shelf margarita too and trust me, I haven't seen any of it here in Scotland and I can't wait to be reunited with a El Cholo Margarita featuring Avion Probably the Silver House, I think, is where I'm leaning. Share Avion with those that appreciate what they eat and drink, and I promise it will become theirs in your favorite ultra-premium tequila. Please drink Avion responsibly. And the speed round today is brought to you by Callaway Golf, makers of the Chrome Soft Golf Ball. Callaway staffer Phil Mickelson used the Chrome Soft to turn in a second-place finish at Troon this week in a battle for the ages with Henrik Stenson. Chrome Soft brings fast ball speed and incredibly soft feel two characteristics that did not go hand in hand until Callaway developed ChromeSoft's new dual core technology. Let's use that ChromeSoft speed house and get through this speed round. How did the NBC coverage look? That's my first question. So the coverage
1: looked great and sounded great. I mean, big, big kudos to NBC for delivering, NBC and the Golf Channel. The one thing that I absolutely um, loved more than anything else was it was on. It was on forever. It came on in the middle of the night and stayed on <laughs> till the middle of the day. And I could come in and out because, you know, I wasn't able on Thursday and Friday and even the first portion of Saturday to put my life on hold the way I like yeah. to for a major championship and sit down and watch it kind of linearly as it was happening. Um, so I loved the the. Just the sheer volume of hours that NBC and the Golf Channel threw at it. The other thing, there's so many heavy, heavy hitters in, in the broadcast. We had Mike Tarico on last week, and he talked about his enthusiasm for this. It came through. He did an unbelievable job. It was seamless, I felt, in terms of the presentation that he made, along with his, his new colleagues uh, at NBC, he and Dan Hicks did a, a really beautiful job of setting stuff up. Um, Faraday out on the course was great. Johnny Miller was up to his cantankerous um, usual. At, you know, the, the, the Rory McIlroy comment <laughs> uh-huh. um, set Twitter afire. It was perfect Miller. He was, it was, you know, yeah, I peak didn't, Miller I didn't is, hear is it. the way I would put it. So
2: how did he, he, he just kind of did he, the usually he, picked on Rory for, for going to the gym too much?
1: Somebody asked him, you know, what, what do you think about the state of Rory's game and where he is? Uh, and um, Johnny went right into that, that gym um, criticism that, you know, guys uh, too focused on their, their physical fitness, and they, they made a point. I mean, he, Rory was in a pretty form-fitting outfit right. on Sunday, and they really captured Rory, you know, pecs bulging uh, to go along with the commentary from, from, from Johnny, and then Twitter went, uh, went nuts. Um, the one thing, and it's, it's a big criticism, the difference in, in terms of the visual of how um, Fox presented the U.S. Open and your ability to see through the combination of Pro Tracer and the side-by-side um, ball tracking uh, graphic that they devised and utilized with the Open, not having that at Troon, was a real impediment to um, enjoying the broadcast uh, as fully a, as as it could have been enjoyed. The problem with a course like, well, the problem with really every Open Championship is that their courses, because it's on a rota, we don't know the courses. The yeah, U.S. Yeah. Um, consuming, viewing, public don't know the courses the way that we know the U.S. classics. And so um, we, you need a, a, a roadmap, you need a guide to get around and and you know they they had visuals of the holes but in real time when you're watching the players play the holes you need the pro tracer and, and the side by side that 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 fox came up with that went along with it would have been so helpful would have really taken the broadcast to another level and that's that's the big criticism that i have about about the coverage okay well that how about you yeah, yeah, you, no, you, well, you didn't get to see well, any no, of it actually, but what'd you hear no no
2: we got to see it um and we could hear it, but it was kinda of hard. Like we have little monitors at our workstations and you don't want to turn it up too loud. So we have it on the big screen on the right. They put Sky on the left, NBC on the right, and you know, they kinda of share some world feed stuff and then they share some Pro Tracer uh, stuff and then they also do their own things and sky was kept doing instruction which i'm sure some of our uk listeners are probably just thrilled about that like at the worst possible times you know leaders on the course and they're going to butch and claude harden on the harman on the driving range uh which was weird but so They had some issues, as I understand it, because this was kind of a a short notice first year for both of them. They were both not supposed to start until next year. Um, But then they negotiated their ways out, the BBC and ESPN, early. And there were a few times, House, where they actually did do the technology you're talking about. Sky did it more than NBC. But it was explained to me there were some kind of logistical things they didn't anticipate and so they plan to have that a lot more next year but you're absolutely right when you see that split screen with a golfer and then you see the golf hole especially one like uh, on a lynx golf course it's just so key because you know an inland course with trees you can kind of get a sense of what the person's done but on a lynx you've got to have that and so i think if you i've posted a couple reviews that was definitely the consensus of other people so you were not alone in that um, that department um, so it, it, it's something they're well, going to work on. I would on. say an
1: excellent maiden voyage. Um, and, you know, they set the bar properly high and next year they add the technology and i i think it'll be yeah. uh you know could be a pretty incredible broadcast the thing i like more than anything i don't mean to repeat myself i, I and i don't know why other um tournaments don't do this it's basically like put it on from the moment the first golfers are off and have it on all the way through and that's what the combination of nbc plus the golf channel was able to pull off
2: so there was no shortage of coverage. Yeah, it was pretty surreal to arrive at the press center, say goodnight to people uh, in America on email or text or something, and then, you know, finish lunch uh, at the open and, and, and get a message from somebody you'd spoken to before they went to bed. There were some long, long days there and uh, that they have. And the, for those TV people to be on that many hours... I mean, it's we're just riders sitting in a press tent and then popping out to watch some golf and eat some free food. Those people, the hours they put in and in the weather they did it in and to do it as well as they do, I just don't think they ever get enough credit for for uh, how difficult that job is, especially the Open Championship. ESPN, those people used to see them <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> uh, they just looked absolutely shot. But it's, uh, it's so great they do it because it's such a special event. For sure. Hey, Jeff, uh, you sent me a note. Apparently, you're rethinking your wagering strategy. Yeah, yeah that didn't go well, House. Uh, now, I'm anxious to hear how you did uh, with your picks, uh, what you ended up settling on. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not happy with my, my work last week. Uh, obviously, Phil would have won. I would have had a little something that would have covered my my wagers here. We, we uh, as a group of writers, are very bitter right now about the betting uh opportunities here all of the places so you go there and you're trying to give them money <laughs> and they don't print anything out anymore of prop bets the prop bets come up in the morning like when we're already at the course you know they're opening and they're are no prop bets so and you're asking them for a number on somebody so i asked about the jim herman number who i'd mentioned on last week's show couldn't find it. I got annoyed. Then the closing time was coming, and of course, you know, a couple of my colleagues did get him after I opened my big mouth at a uh, thousand to one, and and they were rooting for him. But one of our listeners mentioned having Jim, who ended up having a bad final round at thirty three to one to score a top twenty finish. And I, House, I I'm just, I'm feeling like that's kind of going to be the way I go next year when I come here. The the, the top twenties are just much more fun with those long shots and. I wouldn't have had Andrew Johnston but I'm sure somebody probably looked at the way he played. I I don't know. The the, the each way bet on those top 7s was really tough and 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 obviously Yeah, top 7s is 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 impossible. Is. So uh, you want me to talk a little yeah, bit yeah. about Yeah, so give me uh, give me some
1: good news, please. So look. I think we, we there were two big takeaways that we have to remember for next year, and he, ah. he, here they oh. are. You have to go heavy with experienced guys. You were all yeah. over this yeah. in the pod last week by, you know, um, putting your thumb on guys like Jim Herman. You liked Phil. You expressed appreciation for him. If you look at that, um, the top ten there, they're all seasoned guys, and most of them are, or at least half. I, 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 I don't have the. Uh, leaderboard open in front of me, 35 years old or older. And we now have two consecutive winners of the Open Championship, 40-year-old guys, more than any other tournament, that that age and seasoning tends to be a real advantage because of – all of the variables that come into play with the Open Championship, the the, the weather being the biggest, uh, you know, contender in terms of, of of variables. That's the thing that throws everybody off, and and you know where guys fall and the draw and all yeah. that kind of thing. You made these observations about uh, Jim Herman last week and his comfort, um, and and his his love for Scotland and his comfort of playing in a whole lot of different kind of kinds of conditions. So that's one thing for sure that goes into next year's wagering strategy. The other thing is make sure and you also made this observation look at that scottish yeah. open field yeah. pick some guys that are trending properly yeah. off that list right
2: yep top four jb holmes steve stricker by the way they deserve a nice shout out don't they for making the last minute decision to get over there play the scottish and look how they were rewarded third and fourth place look how they were rewarded. pretty cool Pretty cool, pretty neat to see. Uh, you so know, especially you know, American pros get a bad rap sometimes, and and obviously Stricker's a type of guy who isn't uh, anti-Scottish or anything. But JB, you know, he's a Kentucky guy. You don't expect anything uh, like any great passion. He had a horrible start to the trip, and and um, uh, lost his luggage and all the whole thing. And and what a great great thing to see those two go play the Scottish and then have a great Open Championship. And, yeah, and, and two major um, championship inside, inside top five for yeah. J.B. this year. Pretty yeah. good season, J.B. It's definitely somebody to keep an eye on at Baltish Not exactly going on a limb there, I know. Oh yeah, so right. We're gonna we have next week's
1: show. It's a uh, it will be a preview of Baltusrol, which is yeah
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> we're already going
2: What'd from you major call it? to major. Baltusrol, Baltusrol. That's a that's a castle over here in Scotland House. It's Baltusrol. Come on, <laughs> Baltusrol. <Balthasar. laughs> what did I say? I you said Baltusrol. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to get any oh, tweet God. I, uh, heckling on that. Let's
1: just call it the 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 joint in New Jersey. Yeah. We're going to New Jersey. Okay. Anyway, uh, you know me. When when it comes to the wagerings, I don't like to brag.
0: Oh, wait a minute. Yes, I do. (laughs) Somebody (laughs) three for three, Jeff Shackelford.
1: I have given out winners on this podcast and on the Twitter each. Of the three majors that have been played uh, th- th- thus far, Danny Willett was a Wednesday morning recommendation to all of the Shackhouse consumers from the Callaway Golf uh, yeah. Twitter handle at Callaway Golf. I threw that one out for everybody. Dustin Johnson got a lot of love in my selections, my wagering recommendations, my allocation of capital <laughs> uh, just before Oakmont. Again, a Wednesday morning recommendation. And lo and behold, if you go onto my Twitter feed and look at my choice for winners, I have a half unit recommendation on none other than Henrik Stenson. Yeah. 30 to 1 mm. on Wednesday, you could have had him mm. that. And if mm-hmm. you had done that, you'd be a big, fat winner. You know who's not a big, fat winner is me. <laughs> oh, no! Notwithstanding the fact that I gave out that winner, I, my own self, managed to not play the bet. I, I, I have this whole thing sitting in front of me right now. In fact, I was uh, exchanging notes with our mutual pal, Chris Solomon, of No Laying Up uh, Sunday morning. And uh, he's like, who are you rooting for? What do you think? And I said, well, I have a little taste on on Henrik. So, you know, slight leaning that way. But I love Phil, obviously, and beef is always in my corner. I'm always looking for beef. Uh, And then I went to my sheet to look and see exactly what odds I had on Henrik. And he was not on my sheet, Mm. Jeff Shackelford. So heartbreak for me. Hopefully the folks that consume the Shack House and enjoy the Shack House uh, did as I said, not as I did. Uh, and got winners. I ended up a little ahead on the whole day because I had a nice chunk on under 274.5. Well done. That came through flying colors. And my biggest win of the week was a seven-way make-the-cut parlay that paid out at a little under 3-to-1. Oh, no, no, a little more than 3-to-1. I had uh, my my guys... uh, What was that seven-way parlay? I know everybody's just dying to hear that seven-way make-the-cut parlay parlay that hit. It was Jason Day, Rory, Adam Scott, Sergio, DJ, Frankie Molinari, who was in the mix for a little while. I had Frankie Molinari in there for a top 20 bet also. And uh, Gary Woodland, who came through right at the end for me. Those seven guys made the cut, and I got um, a little better than than 3-1 to on that one. Very
2: nice. Well done. Uh, but I can't believe he didn't take Henrik, the the Shack House guest. We've been we've been getting mentions. I, I, I took we have him. A, I recommended a him. Shock I pushed house it bump. out to the to the consuming public. Wow. Oh well. It's. Um, I just blew the bet. Oh dear. I just blew it. Well, we'll make sure not to tell yeah. him if we get him on the show again, which we certainly hope to do, and hopefully when uh, when you're available and we can we can have some fun with him because he is a as as serious and and calm and cool. As he looked this year, uh, he is absolutely a, a delight and really a fun guy. So, um, Now, two other things, House, we got to do quickly. Uh, I did not get too into the Billy Horschel backwards hat uh, controversy on Twitter, but a few listeners asked us to discuss this important issue. But apparently people were appalled by this. Now, it was just... Pouring rain. It was just miserable. So he had to do the ad backwards because he didn't want the dripping while he's standing over the ball. I, I thought that was pretty simple, right? But apparently not.
1: Yeah, this is that's this is silly golf indignation. Yeah, it's a problem. Um, by the way, Jim Furyk won. At East Lake Same, yeah. on the 18th green, he's standing there making a putt with his putt with his hat on backwards. He won the FedEx that's Championship. Right, yeah. Calm
2: down, Twitterati. Okay. Just take it down a notch. Yeah, yeah, but it it does make you worry about the game a little bit when when that's that's sort of uh, cited as something that is a sign of uh, the apocalypse or the sign of disrespect to the links of the Royal Troon or something like that. Uh, yeah, it's absurd. Oh well. Um, last thing, house. Turnberry, Uh, I was there today. We promised we'd talk about it. Donald Trump is going to be a very prominent figure in the news this week at the Republican National Convention. The resort was purchased by him in 2014. And as you probably know, he has completely renovated it with consultation from the R&A and Martin Ebert. And now I wrote a piece for Golf World today about how they have to get this thing back in the Rota because it is so beautiful um, but I have to say, put, put all the politics aside, however you feel about the man or uh, his walls or all the things he wants to do, he has done a magnificent job with Turnberry. His family, his son Eric was a big part of it. Martin Ebert, the architect, uh, did a magnificent job. Got to play it in a, a lot of rain. But it is truly one of those. I I don't like to, as you know, I don't like to advocate. You probably heard that in the conversation with Rue, the 225-pound green fee places. But this is one of those once-in-a-lifetime golf experiences. So uh, I just wanted to to mention that. That said, I kind of got reunited with Prestwick on the trip which is the home of the first open, which is the complete opposite of Turnberry in every way. Uh, you know, kind of a an informal club, a formal but an informal club that is one of the most important places in the history of the sport. It's about 60, I don't even know, 6,400 yards. It's very short. I got to play there in the rain as well with Jaime Diaz in a late evening nine. Uh, or late evening round that was just sensational and uh, a far cry from Turnberry. They're not too far apart, but, boy, are they the opposite ends of the spectrum. But they're both great golf experiences, and, and I highly recommend uh, both. Uh, but I do, as you know, tend to push the the, uh, the lesser knowns and the better values because there's just so many, uh, so many of them. It's just incredible here.
1: I know, but, look, I can't let you go without – um, talking a little bit about what was on those voicemails. I mean, we can't talk, you can't just say I got a voicemail from Donald Trump <laughs> and not share a little bit of the substance of it.
3: Well, uh,
2: I, I could say it was personal, uh, I guess, I, I suppose, or I could just, uh, let's see here. I could just start playing it. Uh, just in case you don't believe me. Jeff,
3: it's Donald Trump. And I just wanted
0: to thank oh, you. Oh, I believe for your you comments on Turnberry. really appreciate it. Uh, hopefully having
2: a good time over there It looks like a good tournament uh, but i just wanted to call you thank you about turnberry so long you? see there you go that was all there are no, there's no there's nothing nefarious a- there's no you know promises of uh, money for a good review just uh, you know he saw the tweets he was scrolling uh, scrolling his feed and saw that i put a few things out there and uh, i did hear though that he from from his uh, rep larry glick Great guy who kind of represents him and all of his golf stuff. That he just he just likes to talk about the golf when he uh, has some downtime and and how you know it's one of those things too. I, I got to spent time with the architect today, Martin Ebert, and and he started discussing the the holes. We were kind of geeks and going through the holes and every hole, Mister Trump had extensive commentary on where he wanted things and why he didn't like some of Martin's ideas and some of them Martin. Uh, employed. Some of them he fought him on. And and so the thing that I, I realized in that is that, you know, this is and probably people don't realize this, he loves the kind of visionary element of a golf course and the design and the views and he could care less about the greens which is interesting. A lot of people tend to worry about green complexes. He's more about the experience where the tees go, uh, yardages, things like that. So it's just funny to kind of knowing I've gone through it with some projects that that he he does the same thing with his architects and and they and he but he's also ultimately the reason he's leaving a message like that and he's curious is he he kind of wants to know how it played you know you talk about it you have meetings you have plans but it, it, when it's all over you just kind of want to know did, did it work did it did it, did it function and I kind of think like any golfer he's got that that curiosity well look all all I can say Jeff <laughs>
1: God bless America.
2: <laughs> America, yes. Well, on that fine, fine note, I don't think we can top uh, that. Uh, we have uh, a fun show planned to, to preview the PGA Championship. We have a special guest coming on. Uh, we don't want to announce it just yet. I want to make sure that that person is available, but I think it's going to be a really, really fun chat. Um, House, thanks for, for all the great stuff on Twitter and, and uh, insights on the Open. Hope you enjoyed the coverage from here. It, it's uh, It was a little tricky at times with our uh, um RNA media hotel uh internet uh situation but uh, it was a great two weeks and uh and just to be here and to be part of to see this moment of history um it was really really special and so uh, I, yeah, well, you're, you're part of the history now. There's pictures of you on 18 with Phil, pictures of you yeah, with Henrik with his shirt off. You're part of the history, so yeah, congratulations. Yeah, I shielded Henrik from people seeing him shirtless. That's my, uh, that's my moment in history, but... Uh, Anyhow, thanks for uh, thanks for the great chat, and we'll uh, talk to you all next week. And don't forget to check out the ringer.com for great content. And, of course, I'll have show notes on jeffshackelford.com. And, of course, House from D.C. can be found at House from D.C. on Twitter. That's Shack House. We'll talk to you next week. Shaq House! The Team Callaway Collection is a limited run of meticulously curated Callaway and Odyssey-branded items that you can only find on callawaygolf.com. New items are available in the 2016 Team Callaway Collection, including the Odyssey Works Silver Swirl Tie. Oh, House, it's a doozy. If you, uh, if you know any Odyssey fanboys, it's a must. It looks like kind of a secret society type, but, uh, well, I guess, you know, Odyssey fanboys could be a secret society. The Callaway Collection also includes a new XR16 zip-up hoodie, and don't forget about the Stripe Show t-shirt. Visit callawaygolf.com slash Team Callaway Collection to shop now. Use promo code HOUSE. That's promo code HOUSE in your shopping cart to get 20% off. Offer expires on July 31st. That's CallawayGolf.com. Team Callaway Collection. And... Shack House was also brought to you today by Avion, which wasn't created by celebrities or billionaires or Turtle. It's a collaboration between a tequila-loving entrepreneur and a family who for generations have been growing agave in their small town of Jesus Maria in the highlands of Jalisco. Thanks again to Avion for sponsoring today's show. It's made by real people with a true passion for their craft. They pride themselves on creating Beautifully inefficient tequila. So sip on Avion neat or on the rocks. It makes a delicious top shelf margarita too. Share it with those who appreciate what they eat and drink. I promise it will become theirs and your favorite ultra premium tequila. I can't wait to have one back in the good old US of A. Please drink Avion responsibly.